Welcome to the CanoeRaceWorld.com podcast, your home for everything related to marathon canoe racing. Now, it's time to get your paddles wet with your hosts, Kevin Olson and Bill Mahaffey. Take it away, boys. Welcome back, race fans, to another episode of the Canoe Race World podcast. I'm joined here in the uh, Canoe Race World studios with my co-host, Rebecca Davis and Ryan Matthews. Rebecca and Ryan, how are we doing today? It's a little sleepy around here. I haven't had enough naps yet to catch up from racing, uh, I don't know, about seven or eight days ago now. <laughs> Hopefully I get over that soon. <laughs> Um, I'm recovering well, but uh, doing well. I'm with you. Well, hey, thanks for joining me here in the uh, in the studio. I am totally asleep today as well. So if one of you guys would just like poke me or something, if I nod off during this recording, I'd greatly appreciate it. But we have a fantastic episode with the uh, the results show of the Asaba River Canoe Marathon. Yeah, there's a lot to go over. We're hoping to hold everyone's post-marathon depression off a little bit. It seems like... After last year was was a big return, but I think this year came off um, way louder and bigger than any of us had hoped, and a lot of really good racing. Uh, Brian, I think it might have been so big that we had a few uh, website. <laughs> we crashed the website, if I remember right. <laughs> yeah, uh, I got that message right about when I was arriving at Burton's Landing, and uh, the website crashed. Um, we had over a million hits to the website, but in the first 20 minutes of the race, uh, just people trying to, to uh, log in and load the GPS map and, and the uh, live results, and uh, that carried over to Facebook. We had a we had a post on Facebook that reached over 4 million people, so uh, pretty excited about that. Yeah, I think in this, in this case, I'm like excited about a website crashing. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Those are some huge numbers. I would take that as a positive here, right? Positive. Well, hey, that's yeah. awesome. Let's let's jump into the show. First off, congratulations to our champions. As we all predicted in the pre-race show, Steve Lejoie, Guillaume Blais, champions of the 2022 Asable River Canoe Marathon. Congrats to both those guys. We hope to have them on a episode here shortly. Rebecca, give us the women's champs. So this year we had uh, Sarah Lassard and Edith McCaddy winning the the women's crown and uh, showing up some pretty good uh, men's teams and mixed teams in the process. Absolutely. And Ryan, who did we have as the mixed champions? Uh, Tad Hill and Mary Schlimmer Willoughby took the mixed crown. Very important that you get the hyphen in there. I see that she's actually technically changed that, and that is a lot of letters. A lot of letters. It, it is the longest last name of, in, in canoe racing now, I think. You're going to need to update a page on the Marathon website with that. <laughs> longest name in canoe racing. Yep. It, was, it was Mary's uh, fourth mixed championship and Tad's first. So kudos to both of them. Right on, right on. Now, how many times has uh, Steve Lajoie won the Asable? I know this was the first one for Guillaume Blay, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, first win for Guillaume. Uh, he's now part of that uh, elite company who's won all three of the Triple Crown races. 
and it was Steve's 12th win, uh, tying Andy Treebold for second all-time. I believe it was his first in the bow. I believe that's correct, yeah. That was going to be my next question, was was this the first? Okay, so we've got some confirmation on that. Steve's first one in the bow just shows you the level of versatility. Running down through the field, um, second place, uh, Westine Ryan Halstead. Uh, third place, last year's champions and the current record holders for the course, Jordan Wakeley and Matt Mearsman. Fourth place, Mike Davis, Ryan Zaverell. Fifth place, Logan Minar and Kyle Minar. Somebody run me through six through ten. Uh, I've got it. In sixth place, we have Danny Medina and Colin Hunter. Seventh place, Chris Isendorf and Brett Stockton, also a former champion. Eighth place, Carson Burmeister and Pete Mead. Ninth place, Patrick Madden and Adam Jolinas. And tenth place, Richard Loth and Matt Gabriel. So we had what, four teams with former champions of the river out there. Uh, one, two, and three all had a former champion or two on it. And then uh, seventh place, right, with Brett. Yeah, the the top 10, I don't think there were too much for surprises in the top 10, uh, just looking at it on paper. Uh, Jordan and Matt, I think, had a really solid race, but it's sometimes hard to get. We were talking, actually, in, in our family group about, I guess you'd call it like a sophomore slump. Um, it's really hard to repeat like a basically a perfect race experience two years in a row. And Mike is actually the only one in our family who's raced with someone back to back and not done worse. <laughs> so I don't know if that's just <laughs> just us, but uh, I guess when you you win, you set the bar so high, it's really hard to come back and repeat. I'll get a little bit of crow for not picking Wes and Ryan uh, second. I didn't think they would hang in there till the end, and and it came down all the way to the foot dam portage uh, before the first two teams were separated. So. Good job to those guys for outdoing my prediction. Yeah, Wes and Ryan definitely had a solid race. Came back two minutes or so behind and uh, at Camp 10 and took the lead at Mayo in one of the fastest low-water splits between Camp 10 and Mayo in the race's history. And uh, they were right there with the leaders, uh, or actually leading most of the race at that point. Steven, Steve and Guillaume took the lead at, at uh, Foot Dam and uh, made their move just uh Right about Rio Road Bridge and uh, the rest is history. Real quick, though, I got to ask the question. Do you think with Jordan and Matt, the JD2 had an influence this year with the low water? I don't think so. Corbin 95s. Third place, JD2. Yes? No? I don't think so. It's that when you get any of those top teams, the paddlers matter a lot more than the boat. And I think if you switched it around they would all finish the same, even in a different design. I, I mean, I would even think that the, the JD2 historically performs very well in low water. So I wouldn't think that would be an issue there at all. I think it just, you know, the way the race played out was maybe just not quite to their strengths. And, and maybe them as a team didn't have as much of a, it, I won't call it advantage, but maybe that didn't suit their paddling style as a team. Uh, that I don't really know, but I would think that would have more to do with it than the boat design. Than the boat design. Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Go ahead. You were saying 11th place. 
Oh, no. Oh, yeah. 11th place was uh, Travis Mecklenburg and Austin Weiler. And then we had in 12th, uh, Weston Willoughby and Dane Trudgeon. And 13th was Louis Simon Pruneau and Christian Charette. 14th, Nick Walton and Clay Wyatt. And 15th, which I think is going to round out our reading the results, is Tad Hill and Mary Schlimmer Willoughby. And I think that next section of like the 11 through 15 really highlights some of our super young rookie paddlers we had this year. Uh, that was one of the races within the race that really blew me away. Well, for sure, because we had a lot of paddlers up there that were really young. I mean, Travis Mecklenburg is young. Dane Trudgeon is young. Kyle Isendorf is young. Flajoli. I'm drawing a blank on his first name. Renault uh, Fajul. Yeah. Yep. Renault Fajul. Uh, Dale Gust uh, was our other under 16 and under paddler. So all of those teams were in the top 40, uh, which, you know, when we were doing our preview show, historically, I think Ryan can back this up. Those uh, under 20 paddlers struggle, struggle in the longer races. And to me, it just looks like none of them had any, had any, uh, issues and and really finished at or better than expected yeah it was a really good showing for the uh the teenage paddlers this year and um one thing that i i like uh pointing out to people is you know there's a lot of good talent in that top 40 that's under 30 years old or under under 35 years old and uh so we should be seeing their names you know in those those top positions uh, for years to come yeah, and I, I would also like to mention uh, we had a true, I believe it would be youth team finish uh, this year. Spencer Opperman and Brennan Berkshire, they finished in 70th place. Um, but to have a true rookie team, we haven't had one in 10 years. And uh, that's that's exciting to see. And then a nearly rookie team, not quite, uh, 20 by by a day <laughs> uh, in, I believe, 36th place were um, Kyle Charters and Caleb Watson. And I believe, are they from Oscoda, Ryan? Yeah, they're from Oscoda. Uh, I believe Caleb turned 20 the day before or two days before the marathon. Uh, and, and when they came through the finish line, it was the loudest cheers I've heard for a team probably ever uh, watching uh, they had they, their 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 family and their friends um, gave them a heck of a reception at the finish line, and it was I think it was louder than the, the winners got. It was it was impressive. Well, they earned it. They had a heck of a race. Uh, welcome to marathon canoe racing. Welcome to the Asable, Kyle and Caleb. Uh, you fellows did it right for your first time, so you did fantastic job. And and while we're talking about them, I mean we got to give a whole shout out to. LJ Bourgeois, I know it's starting back up again Tuesdays and Thursdays in, in the Laura Sabo Paddling Club because those fellows, along with Diana Jurowitz, uh, my partner this year, were products of that that paddling clinic, right, of that environment, of getting in the boat and getting new people involved. Uh, it's pretty crazy to think that you can go from brand new to top 40 in the sport with the with the right work ethic and the, the right coaching and, and technique. Yeah, and there's there's yeah. a lot of uh, new names to this that uh, club this year. At least uh, people have shown interest, so maybe we'll see even more people from that club and and other clubs around the the state uh, as well next year. 
And another team I'd like to mention, um, switching gears from our younger paddlers, um, in the top 20 this year, we had Dan Mecklenburg and John Webb, and they were the first veteran team, so that's uh, 60 plus, and under 16 hours in a low water year, and that's, um, I, I picked them to finish pretty highly, but just outside of the top 20, so I, they kind of broke that that sophomore slump curse, if you will, and and came on strong after racing last year, with, which they had a good race last year as well, but definite improvement coming into 2022. Yeah, Dan and John, uh, if it would have been a little bit faster water, I think they could have pushed for the veterans record because uh, they they broke several uh, point to points during the race. But uh, that little water kept them kept them behind the record uh, overall. Uh, I think that that hack tassel that John has, uh, it's definitely working out well for him. Uh, seems to really like it and it, it looks like it's it scoots really well and um, he claims any way that uh, it's you know with the that bow design change uh, for those who aren't aware of it uh, kind of rounded the bow because uh, you know the typical hassle's got more of a pointed bow but he rounded the bow and uh, it, it he said it cuts through waves uh, like a v1 or similar to a V1, but it still rides the shallows like a hassle. So, I mean, it would be a great boat for this year. And it looks like it through the the results, it must have really been working well for them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there isn't a whole lot of years where the top veterans team finishes ahead of the top seniors team. So, I mean, it the the results are showing. That's for sure. Boy, this we. You mentioned the low water year. We got to go into it. Let's go into the race conditions because this may have been the year. And the Hassel is a great boat. I own one. Um, Lynn Winnie and Andy Weeks actually raced mine in the marathon this year. But this may have been the year where the Hassel would have been like mm, money with the water conditions. Rebecca, walk me through the water. Uh, I I think it was pretty low. I don't know what the the official gauge prediction was on a uh, race day, but uh, it seemed pretty low. As far as paddling it goes, though, I would say as long as you were in the channel, it seemed fairly normal. And then when you were outside of it, you're like, oh, there used to be water here, and now there's not. <laughs> uh, so I think I did a pretty good job most of the time staying in the cha- channel, but. We did have one time we uh, shot a little early for the the deeper spot um, just after Parmalee and had had to do a little bit of uh, impromptu portaging, which my mom's not really a fan of. But I, <laughs> I saw many other teams doing that throughout the race, so I don't think we were the only one. Uh, <laughs> did you have any extra extra portages, Bill? You know, now that you mention it, I think we might have had one. Um, and we may have had the same one in the same spot that you did, which I should know better there, but I'm pretty sure we did an impromptu portage at the same exact place. So, yeah. Yeah, we went, uh, we went left too early, so <laughs> we got there, but just like uh, we were with Ryan Childs and uh, Chuck Hewitt, and we were on the left side of that, riding on the left, and they hit the channel, and we, we did not, so we had to play catch up after that, but... Uh, but we knew where we were, so I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I saw one. Um, 
on the Alcona the Loud stretch. And I have no idea how to describe it other than you have to resist your urge to cut because it's all just shallow, shallow gravel there. It must um, be. We, was it on the a right-hand turn? I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I know where that is. <laughs> yeah, we, we resisted the urge, and a few of the other teams that were around us did not. Um, and I remember hearing the, the carbon fiber behind us going, oh, they should have just followed. But, yeah, yep. Um, impromptu portages. I like the way that you put it, though. It wasn't so bad if you stayed in the channel. If you got out of it, it punished you very quickly. So, uh, where were we at, Ryan? Do you have that data by chance? What was the predicted winning time? I believe I don't have it off the top of my head, and it's not in front of me. But uh, it was around uh, fourteen fifty uh, was the projected winning time. And the last I had looked at the Mayo gauge, um, it was in the bottom twenty-five percentile and like race history in terms of river flow so it was it was low and um you know the 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 leader's time the burton's landing was almost 44 minutes which is very slow uh for you know especially the talent we had this year um i think that's about as slow as it has been since 2000 2001 when it was like historically slow and historically low um that you know, I, talking with some paddlers after the race and at, at the awards banquet, there was a number of teams that ran aground after Mayo and had to get out and you know run the riverbed until they got into paddleable water. Interesting stuff. Now the the leaders coming through Burton's in 44 minutes, I, I think I would say contributed to a little bit of what we saw as far as. Uh, some of the overtimes and some of the really slow times to Burton's. Um, there were a fair amount of teams this year. Yeah. That were over 60 minutes to Burton's, right? Yeah. There was, um, I think from 70th place on down was all over, uh, an hour to Burton's, which is, uh, pretty slow. Um, at least historically. Yeah, R- Rebecca, where were you and your mom Man, at? You want to be uh, the Burtons. In that, do you know where you came through uh, Burton's Landing? Uh, I don't. I think somewhere in the mid forties. We finished thirty first, uh, so we moved up quite a bit from there. But uh, I wonder if part of the reason for the slower times, especially for the later teams going through Burtons, was the fact that the marathon was late this year, so we didn't have a we didn't have a moon and, or at least I didn't see much of one. <laughs> and, uh, it was later, a little bit later in the year and that extra, you know, few days later and, and we have less daylight. So I wonder if that kind of comes into it. Um, we weren't using a light by Burton's, but you definitely saw teams that were. Interesting. I never thought of that as far as a light factor to, to me, a marathon on the last weekend of July is going to be lower and slower as we know, the river drops a certain percentage every day, etc. But you're absolutely right. The night comes a little bit quicker, too, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's, it's noticeable. If you think back to a year where we had an early marathon, usually you can run a bit past Burton's before turning the light on. And I've done, I think, two where we've been kind of in like the 29th or 30th at the end of the 
and about as late as we can go. And it always seems like you're kind of pushing it to get to Burton's without the light. Yeah, it was, it was probably uh, one of the darker years I can remember, uh, especially considering it was a mostly clear night. Well, I think it was clear from, from shore. <laughs> well, and maybe the stars <laughs> were clear. But, yeah, uh, the stars I would were say clear. This, yeah, it was a lot of fog on the water in the river this year. Not, not so much on the ponds where we tend to think of it, but even as early as Parmalee, we st- or well, even before Parmalee probably, um, running into Parmalee, uh, we started to have pretty, pretty thick, I mean, I guess you call it wispy on the water fog, but thick enough that we were using the tree line a lot to, to navigate. And then by the time we got below Mayo, where we're, I'm used to seeing a fair amount of fog on the water, uh, it was calling entirely by feel. Uh, which was an exercise that I, having raced my last three marathons in the bow, hasn't been something I've done in quite a while. And and we made it through unscathed in that section, but I can definitely see where where and why people would be grounding out. Yeah, for sure. So the, the fog started earlier this year. Um, it, it was definitely coming up in between McMaster's and Parmalee. Now, it wasn't so much the like the wispy tornado fog, like what we saw in 2018, um, that would just kind of burst out of nowhere and then disappear and swirl and boil. It was just fog, uh, which made it very tough, combined with the fact that we didn't have, a, like you say, say, you don't remember a moon. We didn't have much of a moon um, a little bit earlier nightfall. And then the the cold kicked in too. And the cold really took a toll on quite a few teams this year. I believe officially we were like 51 degrees for the overnight low. Um, but was... unofficially, there were a lot of accounts uh, at like McKinley of 45 to 48 degrees. Yeah, the, the thermometer on my zipper uh, on my jacket was reading 43 at one point. So it got pretty chilly. Okay, so that's it. Yeah, it's even colder than what I've heard. Yeah, and that's. That will definitely take an effect, too, because you're burning a lot of calories going, but now you're burning calories trying to stay warm as well. Um, plus some random oops with uh, debris and bumps from the low water, some teams spilling and stuff. You can definitely see where it took a toll. How many uh, how many DNFs did we have this year, Ryan? Uh, we had 18 uh, total DNFs, uh, which is considering the field size right about average uh you know roughly about 20 percent of the teams that start uh drop and this year we were right around 19 percent so yeah um but we had uh, 18 total drops uh six of them i believe were uh, dqs for being overtime and the rest were um, drops due to illness or injury or damage now, that's one thing i haven't seen a whole lot of and if you guys have them i'd love to see them feel free to forward to them them to me on facebook i haven't seen a whole lot of damage photos i know some damage happened i would like to see the carnage um just for my own personal satisfaction of uh knowing that uh, man i dodged it another year knock on wood eventually i'm gonna get ran down but yeah did you hear any big damage stories or anything uh i heard uh the sap the sap brothers cody and Devin. they put a hole in their boat uh, just before or just after Burton's, uh, and they they weren't able to uh, repair it sufficiently, and it it uh, 
as they put, I believe it, as Cody put it, they, they were uh, just slugging along or slowing along. Um, the uh, team of Gabriel Savard and Carlos Martinez, I heard they put a, a hole in their boat from a fish hide, but I didn't hear that firsthand and I didn't see any photos of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, all in all, there I don't recall hearing a whole lot of uh, damage stories like you typically would with water this low. Yeah, I had to had to think. It was 16 was the year that we had to get the kit out and light the boat on fire. So I can't say that I've never made it unscathed. Um, there was an awful lot of duct tape, lighter fluid, and uh, matches involved with that one. Um, I think Fred and Rodney may have blown a baler out, but that would be the only other team that I know of for sure with damage to this point. Yeah, I heard that as well, and I believe they were running as high as like the low 50s at one point and then started to hemorrhage time from boat damage. I I remember uh, you had said Andy and Lynn had borrowed your hassle. I, I remember Andy saying when he got out at the finish that that hassle had had a leak in it uh, most of the race, so I, I'm not sure if that was from damage or something pre-existing, but they were fighting... Uh, bow down condition and they're in that hassle most of the race because of the the leaks i um you know lynn mentioned something of the the same to me as well uh i was there at the finish line when they came in and like i told lynn i really don't care i'm just glad that those two finished they had an amazing race barely making time at mayo and really having to to push it the whole way down Uh, i was just really glad that was finished number 40 for lynn right yeah, it was. It's, it's an incredible feat. Yeah, a- absolutely. Congratulations to her and Andy on their finish. Um, it sounds like they were up against it, and they managed to get it to the end. That's that's amazing. Yeah, yeah there were this year, um, and as we were talking before, but there were a lot of teams that dropped that maybe you wouldn't think would have just due to the conditions and some, you know, unfortunate events and, you know, we're, we're all living in COVID times. So sickness is taken more seriously maybe than it would have been before. Uh, but that is one thing, you know, whenever you line up to do this race, and I think part of the appeal is that, you know, at any time it could be your year that you don't finish and it might be largely outside of your control. So, you know, getting, getting to that finish line, no matter how fast or slow is really a badge of honor. And I think everyone respects the, the teams that make it and even the teams that don't just the ones that are uh, brave enough to try because there, there is no guarantee that you're making it to the finish. Yeah. Very, very well said, very well put. Um, as someone with a, a DNF, it is really hard to, uh, to internalize and to deal with. Uh, now that I'm on the other side of it, four years, five years later, however many years ago that was, I look at some of the teams now and the decisions that they're making, and I commend them for the decisions they're making to not risk health or, you know, really the race or anything like that. Because the last thing we need is somebody, you know, pushing it too far and really bad things happening. Um, we had some smart decisions made by some teams this year. And it was it was a pretty good decision to make. So. Yeah, like like Rebecca was alluding to, it it takes a lot of things to go right to finish year in and year out. Um, you know, looking at the Iron Paddler list, it's just 
you know, paddlers with 10 or more finishes, the, the amount of paddlers who have a DNF uh, is a lot greater than the ones that don't. So, I mean, to, to have a perfect streak, so to speak, uh, is actually a rare thing uh, just by the nature of this race and the challenge of it. Yeah. Right on. Let's move on to uh, the, the teams or the racers that really stood out in this field. Um, Rebecca, who do you have that stood out for you? Ryan, who do you have that stood out for you? I'll start uh, on on the men's side. Uh, Danny Medina and Colin Hunter, I know they're a top 10 team. Uh, they finished sixth. And I know that's kind of where we picked them to be. But I'm. it's really nice to see a fairly local to the race team that's been working really hard finish that highly and kind of live up to the to their potential. I mean, I'm sure they both will, you know, feel that top five <laughs> sitting right in front of them there. But um, I was really glad to see Danny and Colin uh, after putting together such a solid season, uh, really hang in there and, and do well. And then in the women's race on the women's side, I'd really like to shout out my mom um, for it's been 26 years since her last Asable. Uh, she did the only two that she's done besides this year with uh, Carrie Montgomery, and they had really great races, winning the women's and stuff. But she's had so many injury um, issues since then that she just, you know, we never thought we'd be able to race together. And just being able to race with her was a complete honor. Um, but on top of that, we had a really awesome race, and she held up amazing. And, you know, we thought, the best we could possibly do. Um, we were hoping to finish about 40th and to finish 31st. And that was really all on her. You know, she, she put the training in and did what she needed to do to stay healthy and feel healthy. And I'm so happy to be able to have raced with her. Um, that's, I mean, I guess we're the first mother daughter team to do it, but just beyond that, it's, you know, to race with someone that you look up to so much is really special. Yeah, you and your mom definitely moved up through the field uh, the entire race. Uh, if I remember right, you were around 48th, 49th at Burton's and ended up 31st. Uh, and you, you got your mom an age record on, in the process, which is uh, a nice cherry on top, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll have to let her know. She probably doesn't know that yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's awesome. Yeah, good deal. How, how about you, Ryan? Oh, well, kind of the, the kid I was uh, hyping up in the preview episode, uh, the one that stood out to me was Dan Trudgeon. Um, you know, him and Weston ran top 10 for part of the race. Uh, they ended up 12th. Uh, an incredible showing for not just a kid his age, but, I mean, this is his first race. Um, so, you know, he was the second rookie paddler behind, you know, Travis Mecklenburg, uh, the spot ahead of him. But Travis was also is also four years older than him. Um, but you know, Dane Dane looked strong the whole race. Um, I don't know. Everybody on shore was highly impressed with him, and and it was really fun watching him and, and Weston uh, kick some butt all the way down the river. Yeah, Dane set the bar really, really, really high. Uh, my wife said to me the other day in regards to my own son, he thinks he can be. Dane and I was like 
whoa, first off, I'm nowhere near Weston, and Dane is incredible, right? Like, that bar is high, man. Uh, but here he is. He's a 15-year-old, and the other kids are already, like, looking up to Dane Trudgeon. Uh, and they're doing the same thing with Travis Mecklenburg. You mentioned Travis. Um, you, you can't – how's that saying go? You can't be what you can't see. Now this whole generation of kids that follow the, the racers down the river, follow their parents down the river, see these kids, and they want to be these kids, right? Uh, that's that's what we're really seeing with the youth movement here. Uh, Travis, Dean, Kyle, uh, Kyle and Caleb, you know, that the whole thing, Dale, etc. Um, man, incredible. I think the team for me that, that – uh, turned in a, a solid performance and nobody had them mentioned. We really didn't hype them up at all. Uh, Carson and Pete finishing an eighth, um, got back into the top 10, even though I did anybody, could we eat a little bit of crow here? Did anybody have that team in the top 10? Ryan, do you have that in front of you? Can you repeat it? Sorry. My, my mic cut out. No problem. Uh, Carson and Pete, did anybody have them actually in the top 10? I think I had them 10th. I, I had picked them 10th as well. Um, only, you know, I, I was kind of low on them only because of, you know, their their races this year didn't seem as strong as last year. But, I mean, their their marathon was definitely their best race this year, and they uh, they earned it. Yeah, talk, talk about a show to have your good one on, right? Um, I Put your best foot forward. We saw an interesting, um, I shouldn't say an interesting, but we saw a good mixed field as well that I think needs some recognition. Tad and Mary in 15th. Um, I think we all had them probably 19th, 20th, somewhere around there. Um, they came together, really moved well in the marathon. Um, second place mixed team was Mike and Ev. And then third place, I believe, was Dodd and Shannon, right? Yeah, Dodd and Yep, that's the correct top three. And I, I think you're exactly right. Mary and Tad uh, seem like they didn't have quite the smaller races we all thought they could have. And then definitely lived um, up to the you know original expectation we had finishing 15th. And like you said, uh, Dodd and Shannon in 25th and third mixed. Uh, that's a really impressive result with Dodd coming as a rookie. Shannon's now been here a few years, but to really see her have a have a good showing, I know she's got to be really excited about that. Absolutely. Um, uh, quick rundown of the the women's field. We we talked about Sarah and Edith. Uh, you two, Rebecca, you and your mom were in thirty first, right? Uh, yeah. Who's third woman's? Was that Lydia and Caitlin? Yeah, uh, Lydia. Hillscamp and Caitlin Minor were third. And then just because we were all so close um, in fourth were Katie and Christy Trustin. And it was super cool. Uh, we came across Mile Pond, second, third, and fourth place women's teams all together. I, I don't know if that's ever happened before, but it was really cool to ride together for 30 or 40 minutes of the race. Oh, we don't get awesome. that very often. Yeah, we don't a, get that. <laughs> we don't get that often in women's <laughs> pack coming coming across mile. Yeah, 
Yeah, I keep looking to see if someone got any video or pictures of it, and I, I don't see anything from the dam yet, but I'm hope, hopeful that someone will post. So if anyone has a picture, this is my shout-out of the three women's teams coming into Mayo together, um, please send that over to our page because I'd love to see that. <laughs> yeah, that, that'd be pretty cool. I, I think the, um, the live stream for the marathon might have got it. I'll have to watch it again and send it over. Okay, I'll check that out. Thanks, Ryan. For sure. A couple other teams that really stood out to me, um, Craig Stolen and Jeremiah Mank. Um, anytime you see an out-of-state team from what I call the, the non-traditional areas, say somebody from outside of Michigan or New York or, say, Quebec or now at this point, Texas, uh, when you see somebody run, I think they were 20th, 21st, something like that. Um, that's pretty impressive. So it is. Um, they've been putting a lot of work out there um, and it's starting to show off with the Asabo finishes. Um, and then we had a rookie team, too, that was inside the top 40. Um, Joseph Allison and Steve Betrick. I'm pretty sure I just massacred uh, that last name. But they were New York, if I remember correctly, came out and had a really strong rookie showing. Overall, the the rookies here did good. Uh, did we mention we mentioned Dave and Renal, right? Uh, yeah, pleasure. yeah, I, yeah. And then another rookie team um, would be Terry Dufour and Jeremy Machan uh, in thirty fourth. Um, that's, you know, an all rookie Quebec team. Like, like you said, Bill, the rookies really, really showed up well this year. There were a lot of them and, uh, and they were, you know, competitive in ways. Maybe I thought they wouldn't, especially given the conditions of the night. Uh, Theory and, and, and Jeremy finished 39 spots ahead of their starting position as well, which definitely, uh, needs noting as you know, cause that's an incredible amount of spots to, to, to pick up in the race. Yeah, no kidding. For sure. I, I feel like we had another rookie team in that top 40. Um, who, am I, who am I missing? I oh, I got him. Uh, Louie and, uh, and Shirley. Yep, there we go. Uh, where yeah. were they at, Ryan? Uh, they finished 39th. Uh, Shirley Trudell and Louis Lefebvre. I'm, I'm terrible at pronouncing the names, um, but they had a very strong showing as well. Uh, anytime you can get a top 40 as a rookie team, uh, especially in the, the, the depth that we had of competition, is uh, something to be proud of. I think they were fourth place mixed, if I'm looking right, too. So uh, usually quite a deep field in the mixed race so that's that's something to be proud of um, one we haven't mentioned yet was our senior winners which was paul only and andy hall in 24th um, that's a really strong showing um, for that team andy's usually knocking on the door uh, of the top 20 somewhere between 20 and 25 and, and he did that again and paul had a knee surgery i believe five weeks before the start of the race so um, they weren't quite sure how the run to the river would go, but they made it. <laughs> so uh, good to see that they, they hung in there well uh, throughout the race. I know they were riding with Sarah and Edith and Dot and Shannon for most of the night, and those three teams finished less than two minutes apart. 
and that just shows the depth of the or the the tightness of the field um, in that middle section as we were talking in the preview show uh, you know basically 20th through 60 its place was going to be fairly tight and for the most part that kind of lived up to it for sure now what are we going to see um we got to tease the the next leg of the triple crown what are we going to see going to cool back uh, has anybody heard anything any pairings anything of that nature that we can you know give our listeners I, <laughs> I've been uh, feeling it out. It is going to happen, <laughs> which um, seemed a little up in the air as little as a week and a half ago. Um, but the race is on. Uh, it seems like there's going to be more teams traveling from the U.S. than there has been in quite a while. Uh, I think my count somewhere around 10 that I know of, and there's probably a few that I don't. Uh, we're going to see... Uh, Jimmy Pellerin and Guillaume Blay paired back up. Um, they've been selling shirts. Uh, looks like uh, Christophe Marchand and Weston Willoughby have paired up together from shirt sales again. <laughs> uh, Mike is planning to go with Steve, so we'll see see how they go there. All the all three legs are so different. You just don't know how how things are going to turn out. Um, and then, you know, there's some Quebec teams pairing. I, I believe uh, Francis Trudel and Pio Quesnel are racing together again. Uh, that might be bad news or bad information, but I think it's good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is like one week post-marathon. I'm doing the worst job ever show running. If that's wrong, it's totally okay, Rebecca. We have an excuse. We're tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just I'm just reciting the gossip, I guess. Um, I'm going with Ryan Zavarel, so we're hoping to make a run in the mix. Uh, mix is always tough there. <laughs> and the the second day usually is kind of pivotal for where you finish, but the third day uh, leaves a lot of room for mistakes or surprises. So it's really not over until it's over. Uh, I believe that uh, Caitlin and Lydia are going to race women's there, so continue and, and actually complete the Triple Crown. They'll be doing two of the three together, but both ladies will have raced all three. Um, and all three women's, yeah, they're completing at women's, which is um, probably doesn't happen that often that someone does all three legs women's, but not with the same partner. Um, but it's uh, <laughs> it's something to, to do that race in a women's team is, is tough. Uh, but they're they're more than prepared for it and should have a have a nice race. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think who else is. I, there's several more teams going up, but it should be a really good one. Um, not sure what the layout of the days will be. They kind of change things up there all the time. So uh, we'll just have to wait. I believe the announcement, probably by the time the podcast drops, we'll have the announcement of what the course is. But it's supposed to be on uh, Tuesday. Um August 9th. So I'm waiting <laughs> and excited to see what, what unfolds. Right on, right on. Hey, who did we have? Um, real quick, let's bring it home. Do we have any misses from our predictions? Any hits, any misses, anything like that? I have a confession to make. Um, I chickened out and went Steve and Guillaume on our own show, but 
I was really rooting for uh, Wakely and Mearsman and had them in Ryan's prediction challenge. Um, and I feel like I need to confess that, that uh, I wasn't brave enough to pick Wakely and Mearsman on the uh, the regular show when I had them in secret. Uh, anybody else have any uh, any hits or misses from their predictions they want to share before we wrap it up? I think uh, Patrick Madden and Adam Jelinas did a little bit better than most of us picked, except for Kevin. Uh, I think ninth place, we we all had them a little bit further back than that, and uh, they had a they had a really good showing and really came on strong in the morning from talking to the boats around them. And I also think uh, we've mentioned this a little bit, but uh, Austin and Travis, I think, outperformed where I had them placed by a little bit. And that was Austin's best finish and a pretty impressive um, rookie showing for Travis. I know we've already talked about that, but I, I think for the most part, the top of the race unfolded pretty close to what what we were thinking. Yeah, just just looking down through, um, I think Minars ended up fifth, and you had the Minars fifth, Adam sixth, Kevin th- Kevin Adam seventh. I I think uh, the the Minars had a fantastic race. Um, boy, I'm just looking through here. Did we have any other ones that really stood out? Oh, I, I guess I'd like to shout out. Um, I don't think any of us chose. Uh, Buzzy Hartman and Mike Hale to crack the top 20 and they did in 19th. So um, I know that's Mike's best finish by, I believe he said nine places. Buzzy's been in the top 20 a time or two before, but it's, you know, never a guarantee. So a shout out to those guys for, for getting in there. And then also the 20th place team of uh, Gaston Jones and Wade, Wade Binion, um, coming in and cracking that top 20. Uh, that's Gaston's first marathon. Um, Wade is Wade is experienced for sure. Um, but again, that was a pretty impressive finish. I, I don't think they had the expectations to be there um, from talking to them. Well, I, I had asked Wade before the race uh, where he thought him and Gaston would end up. And he's like, expect me in that 20th to 25th range. And he was right there. So Nice. I I had there were conflicting. <laughs> I think Gaston was a little more like let's get the finish and <laughs> where we end up as a bonus. But um, yeah, I, I know there was out of the Texas camp. Depending who you talk to, um, some of them had him place you know as high as twentieth, and others were like you know we'll be seeing them rolling more thirties and forties just because of the nature of the race. But they uh, they didn't disappoint. Like I think the race really uh, favored the Texans in general this year in that it, it was a low water hard uh, hard year, and for them it was a I'm not going to say it was a walk in the park, but uh, it definitely suits them. So it doesn't suit their nature. Uh, we we see that with uh, Chris Isendorf um, every year, and that he gets faster the second half of the race. Um, tough, they're just tough people. So. I guess it doesn't shock me totally that they were 20th. Yeah, Chris, this year again, he was faster in the second half. Uh, or, you know, he got faster as the race went on. Him and, him and Pat moved on up through the field and ended up seventh. It's quite a race. 
For sure, for sure. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Canoe Race World podcast. If you don't don't mind, I'd like to give one more shout-out. Absolutely, sir. Go ahead. Um, Nate Greeley. Uh, I know it was announced at the the awards dinner, uh, but for our listeners, uh, Nate Greeley, I think, wins this... uh, the sportsmanship award this year because uh, uh, he he uh, saw Dwight Walker uh, stuck in the water at, at the I believe it was Cook Dam. Uh, Dwight couldn't get up on shore or couldn't get up on the break wall, and uh, Nate uh, sacrificed three positions to help Dwight get up on the wall so Dwight could, could continue his race. And uh, I think it's definitely worth mentioning that uh, that sportsmanship does uh, go on in this sport. And uh, it's it's worth mentioning. Yeah, I think that's a really really admirable to help out there, and it's uh, sets a good example for you know we're all out there together. For sure. Well, on that note, since we're all feeling good and we're tired, uh, <laughs> let's wrap this one up. Until next time, keep paddling on. Thank you for listening to the CanoeRaceWorld.com podcast, where we love marathon canoe racing and aren't afraid to say it. Be sure to visit the website at CanoeRaceWorld.com, and don't forget to support our sponsors who make this whole thing possible. Until next time, keep paddling. Keep paddling.